Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. And I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource. Welcome, John. Thank you, Lewis. It's a pleasure. Well, John, this week we'll be discussing the latest results on the National Assessment of Education Progress, otherwise known as the NAEP. We'll also be talking about two important school funding bills, one of which would target help for African-American students through the local control funding formula. But first, we wanted to introduce you to a new player on the California education policy scene. She's Hema Quetzal-Cardenas, who Governor Brown is appointed to be the next student member of the State Board of Education. She'll be taking up a position in August, but we thought we would get her into the studio to get her thoughts on, first of all, why she was even interested in being on the State Board. So, Hema, welcome to uh, EdSource Radio. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You are a student in Oakland. Uh, where do you go to school? I go to school at Life Academy of Health and Bioscience um, in the Fruitville area in District 5. And what grade are you in now? I'm a junior there. I've been at this school since I was in sixth grade. This is very unusual to have a 16-year-old who is a member of the State Board of Education who actually has full voting rights. So you will be able to have an impact on policy for 6 million-plus kids and lots of adults who work in the schools and so on. How does that make you feel to have that kind of input now into uh, policymaking for California schools? I mean, I feel very honored and excited, but most of all very humbled about this opportunity. Like you said, it's very unusual, but it really puts me in a situation where I can really voice my opinion and the feelings and opinions that students have and just really giving us a platform to raise our voice. Well, it turns out, even though you're 16 years old, you already are kind of a seasoned member of a school board because you're the student board member for the Oakland Unified School District. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so tell me, how did you get involved in in education issues? And obviously, you have shown leadership uh, abilities that have gotten you to this place. But how did you get involved in uh, advocating for, for students? Um, really, in my family, it's always been important to get your education and I come from a family where my mother has worked with young people before and so when I um really in freshman year that's when I got involved as a really core member and advocating for like student rights and in education and I was a part of the student union called All City Council Student Union in Oakland Unified School District and I was a vice president I was elected by other students in high schools and then in sophomore year, I was a health and wellness director, really focusing on nutrition and health on campuses. And this year, I was um, elected as a school board member to represent the students. And it's just always been a pathway for me, I guess, to really be passionate about education because I felt that it was something affecting not only me, but my peers, my younger siblings, and just generations to come. And in a place like Oakland, it's just been a really good place to do this because we've been known for having young people raising their voice for a long time. So it was just something I had to get into. Okay, so just tell me, what are some of the issues that you hope to be able to raise on the State Board of Education? And for those of you just listening, we're talking with Gemma Quetzal-Cardenas, who is a, was just appointed by Governor Brown to the State Board of Education. But your first meeting will be in August, I understand, when you're a senior in high school. Is yes. that correct? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the issues that you want to try to raise when you're on the state board? Um, really just recognizing that not a lot of students feel that they are um, represented in these types of positions and these spaces. So I feel like one of the first steps to actually take before really pushing forward um, change is really recognizing who does not feel represented and how to uh, make sure that the narrative changes for the young people there. And I feel like that's something um, that a lot of students feel in different communities that have always been brought up. And so I feel like that's an issue, is that when students don't feel represented, um, we need to change the narrative and really bring them forward and give them that platform. Let me ask you about the local control funding formula and the local and the LCAP, the local control and accountability plan now. The state board has made it now officially state policy that school districts are supposed to survey students, get their input into what's going on at their schools. They are looking at the issue of school climate. So there does seem to be some forward movement in recognizing that student voices need to be part of the discussion. But to what extent do you think students are aware of the fact that they actually now by state law are, are supposed to be participating? A lot of times students don't hear about what local control accountability plan is and what LCFF is, which is really a loss because students don't understand they have power. And so when um, surveys get brought up, we need to understand that before surveys are brought to students, that there's education before that and that there's actually um, information getting past the students and giving them the data that was brought up after. Because a lot of students don't know about this. Um, even my classmates don't really know about, you know, the possibility of a student sitting in our local school board. So it's really important that we really talk about not only surveys, but actually informing young people. I do want to ask you about school safety. That has been an issue that's now particularly in the news around uh, the Parkland uh, massacre in, in Florida, concerns about armed gunmen coming onto campus. But I know in Oakland and many other communities, that isn't actually the violence that is the most threatening to kids, but it's the kind of daily violence in neighborhoods which then can affect how kids feel about not only getting to school, but once they're in school. Is that a concern of yours, school safety in general? Um, yes, I mean, the whole fight um, f around gun violence is nothing new to me as a student in Oakland and to many other communities because this question has always been raised up. I'm used to lockdowns because of shootings. I'm used to hearing um, gunshots in my neighborhood. And so when you're talking about this, this is an issue that actually our student union has raised. One of our um, biggest pillars is school safety and culture and climate and so when people were talking about this in the news it was really like hey like we've been doing this a lot and I know from what I heard of students is that it's not only about school shootings but as you said like what's going on in our neighborhoods police brutality so that's something that's really important because a lot of young people have already been doing this work. Tell me a little bit about your family uh, your, your middle name is Quetzal I know that Quetzal is the national bird of Guatemala Tell me a little bit about how your name. Start with that. Um, yeah, my name is Gemma Quetzal um, Cardenas. Um, my mother is an immigrant from El Salvador, and my dad is from um, Mexico. And so basically, my um, Quetzal just happened because my mother um, was really resonating with 
the bird because the bird has been a symbolization of freedom. And so I guess when she put um, Getzale in my name, she just wanted to resonate it with freedom, I guess. And just, you know, birds are just nature and, you know, it's just that representation of us as human beings are here connected to this earth and we are meant to be free and voice our opinions and do what we need to do as human beings. And I heard you speaking Spanish on the phone, so you speak Spanish? Yes, I'm bilingual. <laughs> it's a very um, helpful tool, honestly, and it's a beautiful language as well. How do you feel about this push recently to to emphasize bilingualism in California, now that you can get a, a seal of biliteracy, for example, on the high school diploma? I mean, it's just a great idea because I know a lot of students who are not um, native, um, English native speakers. And so basically, this is really taking a step forward that we're really helping students, you know, not only learn a new language, but take pride in their, uh, um, their first language, because there was at one point, this stigma of learning a language other than English in the United States. So for California to, you know, be pushing this and yeah, um, communities to be pushing it is very valuable, because we don't want people to learn English and then forget their um, native tongue. We want them to have both because they're both valuable and just everywhere because it's a way to communicate with different communities and build culture. That was Hema Quetzal Cardenas who will take up her position as the student member of the 11-member State Board of Education in August. And John, I imagine we'll be talking with her quite frequently. I'll be, yeah. I go to the board meetings and be interested to follow how she votes and what she says. I just have to say I'm impressed that any young person would be interested or have the patience to sit through those very long meetings. It's a good lesson in perseverance. <laughs> well, talk about perseverance. John, you wrote about the results on the National Assessment of Education Progress. I did. The NAEP, also sometimes referred to as the nation's report card. That's right. And uh, after many years, there seems to be some positive news for California, at least in terms of the test scores. Yeah, particularly eighth grade reading, where California has closed within really close to the national average. And that goes for several of the districts that also take it. There are urban districts across the country, 27, that take NAEP, and three in California, San Diego, Fresno, and Los Angeles. San Diego sort of hit the ball out of the park, did really well, and actually reached the national average in eighth grade reading. So basically, the eighth grade students' scores increased by four points. That's right. Now, that doesn't sound like a huge amount, but California was just one of how many states that showed that level of increase? I think there were four that also showed that. It's, uh, you know, one point on a scale doesn't make that much difference. It's what the statisticians say. Four, not only is it statistically significant, but it's important, too. And, you know... California has always been at the bottom of NAEP. In fact, those people who are critical of schools always say, oh, California 48th or 46th, depending what test you choose. Has it really been that low? Yeah, it has. But then again, California is different from most states. Uh, has a lot more of a subgroups that traditionally have not scored very well. It has the largest percentage by far of English learners in the country. And uh, also, it's a more low-income students than average. Now, some people are saying or would like to think that this increase in at eighth grade reading scores could be related to these reforms that are have been put in place during this period. I think it's a little early to say. There's been a lot happening 
in California, new standards, the Common Core went into effect in 2010. Local control funding formula changed the funding, targeted more money for low income and English learners. That went into effect in 13. The money started coming in 14, 15. It's a little early, but it may be a good sign. And that, that said, there still are huge gaps among student groups nationally and in California. In California, that's been closing gradually, slowly over two decades, but we've seen some significant progress, you know, in the last uh, 10 years, say. But for example, African American math in fourth grade, the gap has widened. And that would be of great concern, particularly when you look at Common Core and the like. At least the this movement in the right direction. I mean, if it was going in the other direction, then we would be really concerned. Yeah, absolutely. It's incremental and small, but compare with the nation. In three of the four tests, in other words, eighth grade, fourth grade, math, and reading, in three of those four, there's been progress, not in fourth grade math, and that's the same way nationally. There's now a push, both nationally and certainly in California, to not only look at tests, to look at other measures and also some non-academic measures, uh, school climate, student uh, discipline, suspensions and expulsions as measures of accomplishment, both in, on the student and the school and the district level. Should we really be paying a lot of attention to these scores? Oh, absolutely. I think so, because particularly in NAEP is interesting. It's not geared to any particular state standards, and it's the only test that is your ability to compare states. Again, you have to take consideration who, who the students and the demographic, but over a period of time, it's a good way to see how states are doing relative to one another. And reading and math are obviously important. Suspension rates, graduation rates, school climate also contribute. They're all related. They contribute to how well a student does. So those are really important to look at when you look at what do we need to improve what's going on in school. But it's also important not just to look at these scores as the sole measure of what is going on in schools. Absolutely. But it's uh, an important measure that allows, you know, how is California doing relative to other states? What are other states doing perhaps with English learners or low-income students? that we could learn from, or in fact, they could learn from us. So it's that time of the year again. A bunch of bills are making it, making their way through the legislature. It's a hectic time. It's almost impossible to follow all of them, but you've been looking at a couple of them that are particularly interesting. I'm not sure how much chance they have of making it through the legislature or getting to the governor's desk or the governor actually signing them. But uh, tell us about the bills. Yeah, these were two bills that were heard this week before the Assembly Education Committee, both of which deal with school funding, very important. One is Assembly Bill 2808. It would set a new target for how much money under local control funding formula the state should strive for. It would say, let's get to the average of the nation, which is 12,500 right now for the base funding under local control funding formula, which is the amount that every student gets uniform. It's only about 7,500, so it's a lot of money, $35 billion. This bill would say, that's our new target. We're not gonna, we're not gonna say it has to be done by a certain time, number of years, but we're striving for that. That seems like a great idea, but it seems completely impractical. 
maybe it's because it's impractical is the reason it will pass because again there's no timeline it's not requiring any specific amount what it's saying is for the next legislature and the next governor we want to control we want to fund the local control funding formula as our priority don't start creating you know these so-called categorical grants that send the money in different places focus on this just as governor brown has oh so it would basically set a goal rather than actually try to appropriate those kinds of funds. Absolutely. It says, this is where we want to be, national average, let's go for it. Let's just go to the other bill that you're looking at. It's by Assemblywoman Shirley Weber from San Diego, and it's trying to look at the issue of the local control funding formula and that low-income kids are targeted for extra funds, but African-American kids who are really lagging behind on average, we have many brilliant African-American students, but on average, African-American students are lagging, and there's some feeling that we should have funds directed specifically at African-American kids. Is that is that what the bill's about? That's right. It's not specifically saying African-Americans. It says let's fund the lowest performing student group to have them provide, get some extra money as well. And what we're saying, Shirley Weber is saying, here's a flaw in the local control funding formula. You know, I was supported. I voted for it. But we want to you know, close achievement gaps. And here we are five years into it. There's no appreciable closing of the gap for African-Americans. So we need to address that in in the formula. And so there are a lot of African-American students and about about a quarter who don't get funding because they're not low income. So, you know, these kids, let's just fund direct money for this student group and make this a priority in the local control accountability plans that districts do every year, address this formally, directly with additional resources. Now, wouldn't this conflict with uh, Prop 209 uh, in California that bans affirmative action or funding student groups or any, any college admissions based on race or ethnicity? That issue has been raised. It will be raised. It was raised in the analysis of the bill. The bill so far doesn't have any opposition, but that issue is there and needs to be dealt with whether it applies or not. What are the chances of this bill getting through? You know, it just had its first hearing, no opposition so far. I mean, it does change the formula. And it says in in the future, there may be another low performing group that will get, lowest performing group that will get additional funding as well. Well, thanks, John. Keep us posted on developments on that bill and many others that we will be following. That just about wraps it up for this week in California education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. Thanks to you for listening and see you next week. <laughs>